Well, thank you so much for joining me, Machtel. Uh, this has been a uh, a really interesting journey in impact investing for me. Kind of, you know, talking to a lot of investors around the world, a lot of founders, and it's it's really just a it's an interesting sector to be in right now because there's so much transformation. I think there's a lot of interest in it, and there's a lot of great people and great leaders sort of getting involved. Uh, before we get to Rubio and and everything you know, you guys are offering sort of the mission and vision of, of everything you and the team are doing. What has been your sort of path up to this point? Like what's your path to get to to impact investing? What, what has been your journey so far before Rubio? Yeah, I'm no, happy to, to tell you. And so happy to be here, Grant. It's really exciting. So my path started out really traditionally after studying economics. I joined McKinsey uh, here in Amsterdam and worked in Beijing for a while because I felt I had to learn much more and had a great time there. And then at some point I discovered that you could also make your job out of investing. And I thought that was much more fun because then you uh, actually get to take decisions and you get to take, you get to work with founders and, and managers for a longer period of time instead of just advising. And uh, yeah, so I joined uh, at the time, the whole venture industry actually was quite dead in the Netherlands because it was just right after the big dot-com crisis and uh, there were no investors in venture at all. All the venture teams were being uh, dismantled. So I joined a buyout team, first at Alpinvest. Uh, Alpinvest right now is just doing fund-to-fund investments, but at the time, uh, apart from being a really big fund-to-fund investor, they, were also, uh, they had also had a direct team. And then after doing that for six years, I joined uh, 3i in Amsterdam, basically doing the same thing. And so I had a great time, learned a lot. And But after 10 years doing uh, mid-market buyouts, it really started to, to be an issue for me that we were just talking about the money we could make with the companies. So I loved the work. I had great colleagues, but it was all just about the financial side. Sure. Uh, and I thought that was a really big missed opportunity because already at the time, and we're talking about... 2010, you could see that it was really possible to make really nice returns with great impact companies. And also private equity, it used to be like a tiny part of the economy, you know, being really small and it started growing so much that I thought it was also a moral obligation for us as investors to not only look at the financial side, but also at, uh, you know, what are our companies doing for society and how can we improve that? Yeah, so I left 3i um, with the intention of using the good parts of the venture capital private equity model uh, to create more impact. And this was in 2000, yeah, 10, 11. And at that time, the first plan I had was to do a sustainable buyout fund mm-hmm. uh, and had great discussions with investors and with companies, lots of insurance companies, pension funds, families who were really interested in the topic. But it was a bit too early, especially for a large buyout fund. It yeah. was just a bit too ambitious back then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, we abandoned that plan. I had a really great team. Um, but we stopped and I started doing some uh, advisory work and some investments uh, myself uh, and some board positions until I met um, my co-founder, Willemijn Verlo. And she came from completely the opposite side of the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, she founded an, an innovative NGO in the Netherlands called War Child when she was 23. And she grew that into, I think, 900 people in 16 countries, really wow. active. Yeah. And um, uh, helping children in war areas uh, to recover. And um, but she had handed over the the reign to her successor, uh, and she had started to look at in- entrepreneurial solutions to global problems uh, because she had found that in also in the NGO world, she said, "Yeah, we're not going to save the world with 
just philanthropy because you need to ask for money every year and you don't get direct feedback from your customers. So there's not much innovation. Uh, So we need uh, companies to to grow and scale without needing additional money to solve global problems. And she had gotten McKinsey, my old employer, to do a study of the Dutch, um, at the time, social enterprise market to see why aren't there more entrepreneurs with really a passion and a goal to improve the to improve problems. And one of the outcomes was that there were no good um, professionally led investment funds who could could actually help those entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, and so through the McKinsey network, we got together. Uh, McKinsey connected us and they said, yeah, you you guys should should look at this problem together and see uh, how you can do something about it. And uh, after talking about it to potential funders and we started to be so enthusiastic about it that we said, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, do it ourselves. When somebody... Not sort of in, you know, maybe the the Dutch ecosystem or even the European ecosystem or even, you know, the impact investing industry. Like when somebody asks you about Rubio's sort of mission and vision, how do you explain it to them? What was sort of the thesis, you know, of Rubio when when it was at the foundational level? Yeah, what we really, we believe that we need entrepreneurs to solve global problems. And also we believe that those entrepreneurs that solve global problems are building the most valuable companies of the future. And so when those two things get together, uh, it becomes a really attractive area to invest in. Um, I guess those two things are the most important uh, ones. And one thing that we like to do, for example, is uh, work together with mainstream VCs. So Mm -hmm. a lot of our co-investments are with mainstream VCs who bring generally something else to the table. They are specialized in some geography or a sector. And we bring the impact philosophy and the impact focus. And usually that works together really well. Will Rubio usually lead the, the, the round and bring on a traditional VC or the other way around? Where, you know, I guess it would be different. Probably every, every company is so different, right? So every investment is different. But does it, does it normally go one way or the other? It happens both uh, ways. When we do an investment in the Netherlands, we lead more often. So mm-hmm. then we are more often the ones inviting other investors to join. Uh, when it's abroad, either somebody else invites us or we find a local or a specialized investor to to lead the round. Uh, so it really happens both ways. The one thing that was super interesting when I was just doing some, a little bit of research and reading about, about y'all is, is sort of the carried interest aspect of it and how how that is sort of... I guess something I, I, I haven't quite seen yet, maybe with some philanthropy funds. I mean, I guess it's sort of perhaps similar to that. But talk about sort of the, the 100% of the carry linked to impact targets. Like, tell me a little bit how that works. Yeah. So from when we started, we were, as I said, we wanted to take the good elements of existing venture capital models, uh, yeah. but not do it the traditional way. And one thing that we really wanted to do is to make impact as important as financial results. So hmm. we said we want that throughout our whole investment process, throughout everything we do, we want to make impact as, in, as, it, as important as financial results. And in order to do that, you really have to tie it to your compensation, because if you don't do that, it's much too easy, maybe not for the original founders, but even then, but especially for people who come after that to, to be not completely aligned on impact and, uh, and financial results. So it's it's completely embedded in our in our investment process. It's the first question we ask: What is the theory of change of this company? Are they going to yeah. make really scalable, measurable, and potentially systemic impact? Um, and that goes all the way until the carried interest. So uh, yeah, we have a normal carried interest structure where we get twenty percent carried interest if we make our financial hurdle, of course. But we also need to make our impact hurdles. So we need to get at least 
uh, in our case, 60% of our impact targets to get half of our carried interest and hmm. 80% of our impact targets to get all of it. So what are some of the impact targets, you know, defined yeah. in so many, you know, impact such a broad term, you know, there's so it many, is, yeah. <laughs> there's a ton of methodology. You know, if I ask you, you know, one thing, somebody else in another part of the world might say something different, but I guess, how do you, do you and the team define it? Yeah, so we, we work bottom up with every company to, to set their impact targets. And we do that pre-deal. So with every founder we invest in, we go through a process where we ask our questions. And, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's a very in-depth discussion on what is your theory of change? What is your additionality? What are any negative side effects? Um, and it ends up with one or two or sometimes three very tangible KPIs that are very mm-hmm. much linked to the business as well that you can track and and measure. And then we also make a projection of those targets. So we not only make an investment case, but tied to that investment case is also a projection of the impact targets. And that can vary uh, a lot per company what the exact targets are. Uh, It can be in the case of Sama, it's for example, jobs created for people with very limited opportunities in the slums of Kenya. In the case of Simpower, it can be CO2 emissions avoided um, because they avoided another uh, coal power plant uh, because of their balancing of the grid. Um, so it can be very, very different. Um, and it's tied to really the, the target of every company themselves. You had touched on, uh, you mentioned some of the you know, startups or, or portfolio companies. I, I love to touch on this because uh, I think there's just so many amazing startups around the world that don't necessarily get it to enough love. And, and, you know, if they don't raise 20, 30, 40, 50 million, it's, it's so under the radar. But some of these companies and startups are doing the most incredible things, especially from an impact-oriented space. Can you just shout out maybe a couple of the portfolio companies that you think are doing some, some awesome things and, and maybe what they do? Definitely. So it's hard to pick up some because I, you know, I love all of them. But uh, maybe to start with uh, Simpower that I just mentioned, they help balance the electricity grid throughout seven European countries at the moment uh, by working together with big users of electricity. Um, and uh, they install their software to um, uh, to help people use a little bit less or a little bit more electricity at moments when the grid needs that. And they sell that electricity to the grid operator, that uh, that uh, flexibility, and share the revenues with the um, users of the electricity. Yeah, so they're doing great in terms of impact. Uh, they now have one megawatt of capacity, so that's um, a lot of coal not being burned because they are um, it, they're doing this throughout Europe and they're growing really fast. We had a wonderful journey with them already from C to Series A to Series B. Wow. Um, Getting now a uh, Activate on board, a US-based sustainable infrastructure uh, investor. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that's a really exciting journey that, that we've had with them. How do you spell that? Is it S S I Power? S-Y-M Power. What about something you want to maybe do two more? And maybe you can do like food or health or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Open up is uh, on the health side, mental health, actually. They have a really smart service for companies to support their employees' mental health. And it's a, um, uh, an offering which has several layers. So first, people can have just a few self-directed sessions when they have issues with anxiety or burnout or issues like that. 
And then if that's not enough, the next level is a few short conversations with psychologists and coaches, really problem focused um, to get people back on their feet. And if it's needed, they also have the ability to refer people to uh, psychologists who go more, who go deeper into problems uh, if people really need it. Uh, and that's a really great service for, for people all around the world, really, but to start in Europe, um, because it's so difficult to get access. Here in the Netherlands, the waiting lists for psychologists are really long. It doesn't matter whether you can afford it or not. It's, it's long for everyone. And they're organiza- organizing it in such a way that access is much easier for, for everyone. And yeah. let's, do, let's do something in the food space, because you guys did most of meat, yeah. oleo. You guys have done some some really interesting stuff in the in the food tech spaces. Something I've enjoyed covering quite a bit. Yeah, it's such an amazing space right now. Absolutely, and uh, we have a dedicated food and egg team, uh, so we're doing a lot there. Uh, yeah, if you want Olio, um, yeah, that's an amazing company. Two amazing founders, female founders, uh, who are. Um, a bit sort of the poster child founders in our portfolio, really, how they have hmm. been growing the company, uh, finding really good backers in every round and um, creating a lot of impact. They have now over 5 million users of the platform. Um, and wow. it may be interesting to mention that our impact target for them is both uh, planet and people. So um, we look at how many food exchanges they've done because that saves a lot of CO2 footprint, but also because it's, uh, creates more connections between people in neighborhoods. So we have a dual people and planet target uh, for them. And they sort of take excess yeah. food from businesses. Is that kind of what, what they're they do? Sort of... It's both um, B2C and, B- and C2C. So they have a platform where people can just share excess food they have in their pantry with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they take excess food from, for example, uh, Pret-a-Manger from supermarkets, they have a big deal with, with big US supermarkets where it's food that, that needs to be consumed on that day. It's usually freshly made sandwiches, salads and stuff like that. No Albert Hein? No Albert Hein? No, no deal with them yet or what? No, they're not that. No, they're they're focusing on the UK right now, but uh, oh, okay. okay. it'll be the first we call when we... Yeah, the, that, that would be a big victory. So they take, so they would go to grocers even restaurants maybe too to 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 yes take yeah. their excess food and then what did they do with it so they have an app so people can either share it themselves amongst each other uh, i've used it many times and it, it works really great you just put you take a picture you put the food on it usually within a few hours there's somebody at your door who's really happy with it mm. uh, so it takes away the guilt of having to throw away food. Um, it, it's really, it works really well. Um, and then with businesses, they they do a pickup usually at the end of the day. They have a network of um, volunteers. Uh, they call them food waste heroes. So the food waste hero heroes go to the supermarkets, restaurants to pick up the ready-made food for the day. They take it home. And then also through the, the app platform, they distribute it among people in their neighborhood um, and they keep 10% of it themselves. So that is their their salary, if you want. Uh, yeah. and, and what this means is that it's a very granular, I'd say, finely distributed way of distributing the, the leftover food to people who really appreciate it, who really need it. What's, uh, how many would you companies would you say have Dutch founders versus you know global or European founders that 
you invest in or, or you get sort of pitches from? Do you see a lot more than usual? I mean, I guess you've been doing this for almost a decade or a little over a decade now, but like what's the sort of Dutch founder ecosystem within Impact Entrepreneurs? How have you seen that grow? And, and- It's about half. Okay. So yeah, about half of our companies we invest in are Dutch based uh, and not all our Dutch founders are actually Dutch people. So uh, there's there's a lot there. of uh, international entrepreneurs coming there. here. <laughs> yeah. Up. So yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, we were, we were I always felt so bad. I was like, we love like that. There's, I feel like there's just like all <laughs> in Amsterdam specifically. I was like, I feel like there's Nobody from Amsterdam that lives here, you know, it was, it was good. I mean, obviously there are, but like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a transient and international city, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting to see. No, and it's great. We, we love when in the, in the period we've been doing this, we were very Dutch focused in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And our pipeline has grown much more international over the years. We were one of the first independent uh, impact funds in Europe um, and in the Netherlands. So yeah, as as we have gotten to know your gotten to be more well known, uh, people know how to find us, and which is great. Yeah, no, and if you look at the Dutch ecosystem, entrepreneurship, setting up a business has become so much more normal and popular than it used to be in the Netherlands. It's such a huge difference with ten years ago, which is a really great development. Yeah, I remember when I was there. I think TechLeap had just launched, or it was it, it had been launched, but it was really early on. I, and I believe it funded by the Dutch government, essentially sort of this almost this just tech hub of like, hey, even if you're if you're from the Netherlands, like you can go to this to kind of get started, a database of investors, database of just educational materials on even if you're like you said, coming into the Netherlands, you could research like how to get started and sort of tax questions and all this thing. And then I think when I was there, they had something really I thought was really interesting happen. I think they made it where I guess they made equity. I guess they they couldn't give equity away. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was something where if you were with a company or you were a startup, you couldn't get paid in equity, or equity was taxed like yeah. income or something like that, right? And it was yeah. sort of this, you know, it was it was kind of hampering a lot of hiring. It was just hampering just a, a lot of innovation because it was such a it was such an odd rule for startups. And I think they passed something where that completely changed. No, that's right. That that should help. And but I think even more. Definitely things like that help, but even more sort of the culture where it's actually really, really cool if you try to set up a business. Um, mm-hmm. And it used to be just really, really cool if you would go to Heineken or Airbnb Emro uh, um, right. after right. your college. And that has really changed now. I'm also involved with a, a small pre-seed fund in Rotterdam called Graduate, uh, where uh, students get a chance to set up a business or to invest in them. And that is so popular and yeah uh, that didn't used to be the case that mindset of uh you can actually set up a business and uh you can be successful and it's okay if you're not successful the, the first time then you can try again um <laughs> that is new to the netherlands it's uh and it's great that it's happening i'll kind of uh maybe end a little bit on the on the future here and i know it's you know it's something you've you've dedicated a lot of your life to um, but if, when you look, you know, the next three to five years, I guess, what are some of the goals and successes you and the team w- would like to achieve? Yeah. So what I would really like to see is is sort of the continuing journey we've made with some of our founder teams, with a lot of our founder teams to grow, uh, to grow personally, to grow their businesses, to grow internationally. One of the things that is 
you know, Europe is really catching up in terms of VC ecosystem, um, but scaling businesses across borders in multiple countries, uh, that is still something you don't it's very difficult. see that much yeah. yet. Yeah. So we're seeing it now with some of our companies, for example, with, with Simpower that I was just uh, telling you about, uh, Open Up as well, uh, Taylor, and solar panels is already internationalizing. So um, it's happening and, and that is really exciting. So I would really like to see more proof of that in the next three to five years. I think the the one thing that I had a friend when I was there, you know, he was trying to expand to, uh, you know, Germany and and Belgium and was thinking about uh, France, but it, it's not like the US where you could just have a, a company in a state and you can sell in every state. You could, it, you know, having a, a company in one state is having a company in every state in the US. Like it's, yeah. but there, you know, you need to set up a German, a Germany entity, in, or you need to set up a France, a, fr- a France entity, or a, a Belgium entity, and it's like it makes it so difficult to kind of scale quickly because then you have to do taxes in all these different areas and stuff like that. Like, is there anything that the do you think it will ever be a, a point in time where the EU signs off on, or maybe country, right? Maybe it's Germany and and the Netherlands and Belgium sign a sign something where it says, hey, you can open. If you open a company in Germany, it's just as you open up a country, a company in the Netherlands and, and Belgium, yeah. like something like that. It seems so simple, I guess, but obviously it's so difficult. But that, I think that would be such a, a huge win for for startups. Yeah, I agree. And I think that will be a while, but, but I think there's two <laughs> other things that really help. And one is uh, there's more and more entrepreneurs who have done this successfully. And maybe mm-hmm. not so much in impact companies, but in maybe in the financial innovation yeah. sector, in other areas. And um, for and, and those people will want to do that again. And some of those will want to start or help impact businesses. So I think uh, in one of our companies, we've had somebody who we actually in our fund also have, have quite a number of fintech entrepreneurs who've made their money in fintech and said, no, I want to do good things with my money from day one. So I'm going to invest in your fund. Uh, and we also see them in our companies. And that is great because they have already made the right, they've done it, um, and they can uh, teach to, uh, to our entrepreneurs how to, how to scale across Europe. So I think that is definitely helping. And the other thing is legislation. There's a lot happening at EU level on uh, especially environmental legislation, for example, reusable packaging, but also CO2 footprint, CO2 pricing. And that is, you will still have to start a company in every country, but at least you'll have the same broad legislation at the EU level. So I think that's going to help a lot of our companies as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed reading you guys. I was, uh, even when I was there, I I knew you, I knew y'all existed and always wanted to touch base. So I'm, I'm glad we finally get to do this. And, you know, if anybody's ever in Amsterdam, go to the zoo. I guess they can kind of knock on the door and come say hi, right? Because your offices are absolutely <laughs> or in the Amsterdam Zoo. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, and so definitely when you're back in Amsterdam visiting, uh, come see us. That'd be great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck to, to you and the team for the next decade to come. Thank you.